Welcome to Piecing It All Together. Hey, hello, I'm Randy Woodley. And I'm Bo Sanders. We're going to try and piece this whole thing together with you today. The topic is patriotism. And I actually don't know where this is going to go because, Randy, I'll be honest, I have some deep suspicions about patriotism. But last week when you and I talked, before we started recording, you had been watching the hearings about the Capitol riots, and you had some really interesting things to say about patriotism. And I said, all right, hold on. This is a topic I would love to talk about with you, but it really brought up some deep emotions and and feelings in you. Yeah, and we really don't know where this is going to end up going. So, you know, everybody stay tuned and prepare yourself. Let's let's figure it out. But hey, we like to talk about stuff that, uh, you know, people don't like to talk about. Yes, we are not shy to wade into the waters where even the angels fear to tread, as the saying goes. So there's a lot of... Uh, you know, people like my parents' age, like my dad is a World War II vet, right? My brother was a career Air Force during the Vietnam era. Um, and and I actually went down to sign up one time. I think, oh. you know, this was crazy, but I was 18 and I had no direction for my life and was not doing well. And, and uh, so, of course, I, like an idiot, I thought, well, the military might be able to straighten me out. And uh, went down there and, you know, I, I, you know, I was so uh, sort of uh, uh, semi comatose from drug use um, that uh, I the guy got just lied to me about everything. Well, the first thing he said is, well, what would you like to do? And I said, well, I want to be a sniper. Because I'm a really good shot. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and he said, well, the war just ended. So that's going to be a difficult one. And, uh, and so then I said, well, how about a dog trainer? Cause you know, I like dogs and, and, uh, so he said, oh yeah, yeah, we can do that. Well, anyway, my, my brother who, uh, like I said, was career air force. Um, he just said, well, they lied to you about all this stuff. They can't guarantee you any of these things and blah, blah, blah. And he took me back down and made the guy tell me he was lying to me and that was it, you know? And so I was out of there. So, um, but you know, I'm, quite certain that I would have been right away what they call uh, uh, not adaptable to military life. I'm, I'm probably <laughs> one of the most adaptable people to a military lifestyle that you could think oh of. So, but, you know, this is one of those crazy things that people do, you know, and they go down and they sign up. It's yeah. Uh, yeah. And they have no idea what they're getting into. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've been a youth pastor for most of my life and I can't tell you how many kids in youth groups that I've had, um, thought that signing up for the military out of high school was the way to go to give them some structure and some discipline in their lives. And uh, that for most of them, I have tried to talk them out of it and saying, while I agree that that would be beneficial to you, the the trade-off is like something you can't get back. And right. um, try to talk them out of, uh, some people have gone in the military, some have had really good experiences, uh, others you know, not so much, but hey, just in contrast to you, I'll just show my cards. I turned 18 in 1991 at the start of the first Iraq war, which I actually stayed up all night and watched on like cable news. 
uh, you right. know, the, the Baghdad lighting up with the green lights. The bombing in Baghdad. And I was up in Regina, Saskatchewan, and I had to, because I was still an American citizen at that point, I had to drive down to Minot, North Dakota on my 18th birthday in, the, in snowy North Dakota and uh, register with, at the post office, register for you know, military service uh, in case there was a draft. And I, you know, it was terrifying. And um, because I was out of the country and I wasn't part of the whole created culture that we have in the United States, um, it felt like a very alienating experience. It was very disorienting uh, to go down and do that. And so that was an interesting sort of entry point for me into the possibility of uh, military service. And uh, probably, I would guess, deeply affected me, especially being around Mennonites in Canada who are part of the peace movement, peace churches, and um, and just being outside of the American borders. And so one of the things I'll probably end up talking about today is just my deep suspicion of American foreign policy and, uh, oh, the, uh, and the role we play as a police of the globe. Um, so we'll probably touch on that a little bit today, but I just wanted to show my cards about sort of my origin story in this conversation. Yeah, well, you know, first of all, going to Minot, North Dakota is a scary experience in and of itself. <laughs> I've been there a number of times, <laughs> stayed overnight there. It's pretty much a military base. Yeah. Now it's full of like man camp people right? From the oils, uh, yeah, the shale and stuff. And um, yeah, it's a scary place anyway. So, uh, uh, but if you went there in the wintertime, it's really scary. I mean, because that that's like you freeze your ass off place, right? Yeah. But as far as patriotism goes, you actually made a positive case about the importance of patriotism. And you said that there's actually three levels of it. Uh, that you wanted to flesh out and that it's not one, it's not just one thing, but that there are different aspects of it that would actually be helpful for people to sort of, as they conceptualize what it means to be patriotic, that there's really different levels of it. Well, I guess I hadn't thought of it in this. I mean, I might've mentioned three things, but I generally think in lists, but um, we can go there. Uh, so, you know, I, I guess the first thing I'll say is that, that there's always been conscientious objectors, right? Yeah. Um, for good reason. Uh, I think in World War I, um, you know, there's, uh, the, there were Hopis, Hopi Native people who, who went to prison. Uh, there were Mennonites and Amish and other folks. And, and I think uh, the, the idea that you either have to go and kill people or uh, or potentially kill people, or go to jail is just barbaric, right? I mean, then that's that's not the way you do things. Mm-hmm. There ought to be other options. There ought to be other ways for people to serve their country without having to be ready to kill somebody. Mm-hmm. And um, I think a, a first of all, a country who can't realize that. Um, and, and the reason we can't realize that is because the history of the United States is soaked in blood. Yeah. In the U.S., the myth is that in order to be free, you have to kill someone. Yeah. You have to kill 
people, your enemies. And uh, in Canada, you know, uh, things were done mostly by treaty, not completely, but mostly by treaty. And so it's about people keeping treaties. But over here, it's about, you know, like who who lives and who dies, who who gets to kill who. Yeah. Uh, and the winner takes all. And so um, I think there's a different mythos in Canada. What do you think? I mean, you're the Canadian citizen. Yeah, you're totally right. And I mean, America is, and I'm trying not to be, you know, too negative when I say this, but America is a war tribe, right? Even in our national anthem, our worship song that we have to start all sporting events with and um, you know, mm-hmm. the rocket's red glare, like we were birthed in blood. And to right. this day, there is, I mean, if you follow the trajectory, even in the last 50 years, there has been a total, a militarization of every aspect of American life from policing to hobbies, to outdoor wear, everything right is now uh, militarized. And it has, and the military budget is like uh, to quote Bernie Sanders, obscene, right? Um, it is obscene. Yeah. The, 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 the military budget we have in this country is just, there's no way to justify it any way, shape, or form. And yet both Democrats and Republicans fight to boost that thing every year. Yes. And then, you know, you have all of these outside lobby groups also that – uh, aren't exactly the military, but are paramilitary and these contractors. I mean, it really is, as Eisenhower called it, the military industrial complex that he warned yeah, about. Yeah, a lot of people get wealthy. Um, you know, uh, the Iraq uh, war, you know, Cheney got all his friends in, Bush got all his friends in as contractors, you know, and uh you know, they made uh, millions, maybe billions of dollars off of that war by having their friends get the no bid contracts. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, there's just all kinds of ways that um, uh, government officials have figured out to make money on war. You know, yeah. they're war profiteers. So you're right as far as the national mythos goes. And, you know, if you have visited other countries, right, if, you, if you've been to other countries around the world, people do have pride in their nation. They're very proud of their nationality and of their history and of their peoples uh, without necessarily that element of war being always the first and last, a totalizing approach to war where you must destroy your enemies and pound them into submission. Or as some have said, you know, bomb them back to the Middle Ages. Um you know, this Cold War mentality that when we when we became the world power, we did not in any way de-escalate our expectations of total war. Right. And we're the only ones who have used nuclear bombs against our enemies. And so everybody knows that. Right. And so it's like, oh, these people are crazy. You know, these Americans, they'll use them. So we have to sort of go along with them or acquiesce because you know, who knows what will happen. And, we'll, um, and I think that's a sad, sad way to present uh, who America is because America does have some great ideals. Yes. I mean, the ideal of America uh, is very unique um, around the world. And, um, you know, uh, basically one that uh, could be 
potentially worth fighting for. This is the, the thing you said that really caught my attention. You said, you know, for some, the patriotism is about country, right? And that's their emphasis is the country. But also there's an element of land, the land itself. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. And then this other thing is the ideals and what they represent and how even, you know, during the Capitol riots, how the ideals themselves were compromised and why that's so important and worth contending for. Yeah. So there's no, uh, being a historian, um, there is no way around the fact, to be honest, that this country became what it is because of a white supremacist dream. I mean, this is a country that was built for white, uh, wealthy, uh, at that time, land-owning men. Mm -hmm. um, there is no way to win an argument based on fact that presents anything else than that. That's that's a given. So, um, so then the idea is that, oh, well, then other as we go along in history, other people get invited into this, right? Yeah. And, uh, and so now you're supposed to defend this, these ideas that were originally for white, wealthy males. And um, I think if uh, truth be told, um, along the way, that hasn't always worked very well. And so we've been, um, you know, uh, inviting people in when those ideas haven't worked from the inside to defend them to the outside. So, um, yeah, so, so, you know, I mean, there's lots of people who have said, you know, why should I fight for this country? You know, it hasn't, look at all it's done to native people, to black people, to, you know, uh, uh, and yet there's, you know, like native Americans uh, generally have the highest uh, rate of service in the military uh, than any other group. That is so fascinating. I remember the first, uh, time when I was studying with you and I went to a uh, powwow and I saw all these American flags, the red, white, and blue stars and stripes. And I was a little perplexed by it. I didn't say anything at first. And then later in the semester, you pointed out this military service, the higher rate of military service and a type of, you know, patriotism uh, that exists there and real pride in serving the nation and I was so, uh, I mean, really surprised by it. And so we had a really great conversation um, where I was asking, and I always remember this, the first time I asked in the class if it was sort of a Stockholm syndrome where the uh, cap captive identifies with their captor and the rest of the class was like, oh man, you stepped over the line. But you, you know, <laughs> I don't know if you remember that at all. No, I vaguely, yeah, I vaguely remember it. But, it but no, a, it's a great question. It is a fascinating you know, Russell Means, Russell Means, who is a you know one of the founders of the original American Indian Movement, AIM, <clears throat> you know, basically looks at it that way. At Stockholm Center, he said we're the only uh, people who 
fly the American uh, fly the flag of our uh, conquerors, you know, willingly. And um, but you know, the, you you listen to people at powwows and others and elders talk about this, and basically they there's a number of things that come up. One is that we have a strong uh, warrior tradition honoring warriors, people who defend the people, right? Um, another is the fact that this is the land that uh, creator has gifted to us. And uh, if, you know, you have to be able to protect and be willing to die for the land uh, that you're, uh, ancestors inherited and your descendants will inherit. And so uh, it's sort of a, a, a defensible position now. Uh, and so war seems to be the opportunity for that. But the, the problem is in the United States that we have so many lies. Uh, we find out often afterwards um, uh, about what these wars are about. They're not about defending us from others they're usually about oil or strategic placement and all of those kinds of things and so um you know it's it's like the boy who cried wolf right it's like how can you trust a government who's lied about and and um shed the blood of so many innocent people over all of these years uh to tell you the truth yeah so, so it boils down to this for a lot of people, a lot of veterans I've talked to. Um, and and I, we should start out by saying neither one of us are veterans and we don't understand what it's like to be in the midst of war. No. Um, but I've heard a lot of my friends say, you know, it boils down to you find yourself in a situation where all you're doing is fighting for the person next to you, that yeah. they stay alive. And, and your loyalty is to them, right? So before we talk about the ideals and, and specifically what was under attack in the Capitol riots, you know, one of the things that I think about quite a bit is a question by William Kavanaugh. Uh, how do you convince a farm boy a, from rural, a rural place to go to a foreign land and kill people that he's never met? How do you do it? And the answer is... A mythos, right? There is a, right. a nationalism, a, a, a liturgy, if you will. It's uh, propaganda. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You you have to propagandize them. You have to uh, demonize the enemy, first of all, so that you think of them as less than human. Yeah. And, uh, and that happens at the start of every war. You can tell when they're ramping up for war. I can tell when they were ramping up for, because I remember Vietnam. And uh, what happened there? And I could tell when the Iraq War started that they were ramping up for war. Uh, this is before they ever did anything, um, because they were dehumanizing the enemy. Mm. And uh, once you start doing that, you know, hey, once we dehumanize them, we can kill them. We people aren't going to hesitate because you know they're less than human. Mm. Right? They're not people who come from the same kind of families as we do, who have. The love for their children the way that we do you know they are they are less than that and that's exactly what happened with propagandizing native americans mm. um the propaganda has been used against uh, african americans in this country and many others over the years and so uh, even the irish when they first came you know and so um uh, uh, it's just a, a 
the point being that once you dehumanize another person or another people, is probably better put, um, you can do whatever you want to them. Yeah. Whether it's war or anything else. And so, uh, yeah. And specifically in the last 25 years, the, the anti-Muslim rhetoric has been so right. devastating. Not just anti-Arab, but anti-Muslim. And uh, to justify our involvement in the Middle East and so many other places. But you definitely can see the marks of that dehumanizing um, the enemy pretty viciously. Yeah. I mean, and Protestants did it to Catholics in this country at one point. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, it's it's just like it's endemic to uh, maybe it's endemic to the to human race, but it's definitely endemic to um, Europeans, Western Europeans. Yeah. They, you know, they like to fight over just about anything. It's. Well, yeah, I mean, in the legacy of empire, right, and the mentalities that come with the imperial military focus, but that has morphed in, you know, say the last four or 500 years into the colonial approach, which has then morphed again into this thing that gets called neocolonialism or post-colonialism or, you know, um, the new world order. And, but the mentality is exactly the same. Yeah, well, neocolonialism is basically, it's still violence in a yep. sense, but it's without the presence of that vi those colonial people being there uh, to enact violence. You put systems in place that enact the violence. So you put systems that um, keep people at bay so that they can't rebel against the colonial powers. And you put other systems that, uh, in place that, do things like extract natural resources without having any any remedy against it. And so they drain your country dry. And, and uh, the continent of Africa is one great example of this. Um, you know, neocolonialism is still going on there. The European countries are still milking Africa for its, you know, different minerals and things like this, diamonds, minerals, et cetera. And, uh, and, and that's a form of violence. You're taking the food the bread from the people and giving it to your people um, by extracting all the capital and natural resources that are there. And then shipping it or, back. Or, or allowing them to make the kinds of laws that would prevent that because you have things like debts and the World Bank and uh, in National Monetary Fund, the IMF, that make these policies uh, so real that they have no other choice but to obey what basically the Western Europeans and Americans say about it. So, Hey, qu quick plug for our book. Uh, in our book, one of the things we talk about is this thing called Americanity, which is the exporting of this, whatever we're talking about today, around the globe, but through different means. And so everything from what you're talking about uh, through, you know, multinational corporations to military involvement, the American military involvement in Central and South America of actually intervening in other governments and in a militarized way. I mean, the legacy of America exporting this around the globe, but through different means, uh, if people are interested in it, if, if they want to pick up our book, which I'll link to in the show notes, uh, it's in a section that we talk about Americanity. 
the legacy of his neocolonialism. So in spite of all this, yes. you know, in spite of not living up to its ideals, in spite of everything else, um, these ideals still exist and, and people are patriotic to that ideal. Now, some people are patriotic to the fact that it's just like, you know, uh, uh, my country right or wrong. I don't think that's a good attitude to have. I think it's like um, we we won't waste the blood of our innocent youth uh, for wrong ideals. And so, um, you know, I would uh, I would not hesitate to fight if I was defending my own family. Right. My own uh, friends, my own country. Um, but, uh, you know, I can't think of a war. Um, maybe some justification for World War II, I don't know, but um, I, but I can't really think of a war that we fought uh, that would be worth it. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm, a, I'm patriotic to the ideals, but not willing to sacrifice my children uh, for somebody's ideals of capitalism. So, uh, let me think about how I want to do it. So patriotism, if you like look it up in a dictionary or whatever, we'll talk about devotion to and rigorous support for one's country. But what we're talking about is the ideals. Um, and they really can be traced back to like the French revolution and the legacy of, you know, the enlightenment with, uh, like liberty, fraternity, equality, uh, liberté, égalité, fraternité. <laughs> and these ideals still call to us today to live up into them, to actually, they inspire to this day a type of devotion that's actually worth contending for. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> possibly. By the way, that, so, uh, that was my most constructive, optimistic, positive uh, <laughs> presentation. Yeah, it, it's it's hard to be patriotic to ideals that are not actually enacted upon, right? So right now, we're in the middle of a political war, um, and I, I, I don't... You know, I, I don't have a lot of fond feelings for the Democrats. So, but, you know, I have to, the Democratic Party has moved from the late 60s uh, from being uh, an actual second different party than the Republicans to being now just sort of like um, moderate Republicans. Mm -hmm. And so um, those moderate Republicans now we call Democrats. And then the Republicans have moved to the far right, right. you know, who are extremists. Uh, extreme right and you know it's sort of like you know you're 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 having to choose the mediocre right because everything else is not viable right and so um uh but but unfortunately the uh the democrats uh have uh, they're having a hard time standing up against fascism mm -hmm. And it's because they're a little bit fascist themselves, right? Um, like they don't want to touch that military budget, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and they don't want to uh, move too fast ahead of things. And yet, 
you know, you have people during um, the Civil War, you have uh, who uh, uh, fought to, uh, uh, you know, free enslaved peoples um, who gave their lives for it because they said, you know, um, like one more day of slavery is, is, is one day too many, right? And, and, but you don't have that same thing on many of the Democrats now when you talk about voting rights, which is the basic right of a, to, to, you know, if you can't, if we can't get a right for everyone to vote, then who should be patriotic to, to that, you know? Um, or who should be patriotic to white supremacy? Certainly I'm not gonna be. And so, um, you know, patriotism depends on action not just, uh, you know, like our best intentions. Right now, we're in a fight against fascism in the United States. There is no doubt that that is what's happening. We are fighting fascist regime. Uh, We're fighting a takeover by a fascist regime that calls itself the Republican Party. And, um, and, And we have this like milk toast weapon called the Democrats right now that are, you know, this very affable, flappable, uh, you know, group who are supposed to be doing something about it. Future's not looking very good. Yeah. You know, one of my favorite books about this sort of thing is by Chris Hedges it's called The Death of the Liberal Class. And he talks about this migration that you mentioned uh, over the last 50 years of what used to be the Democratic Party and how that it functioned in sort of the, the mechanics of, of politics, national politics, as uh, to let off pressure. There was a, a venting when the pressure would build up and the tensions got too great. And because of this migration that you've talked about of the right to the far right and of what used to be the left to the middle, we have lost that sort of third perspective and we, are missing it so much that the tension is just building and building and is threatening to actually to rupture and tear this whole thing apart. Right. And those ideals from the left are those that, that I would say are America's best ideas. Mm-hmm. The idea of equity, the idea of equality when it comes to the vote and to gender and to all of these kinds of things. Um, in uh, the idea that every person deserves a living wage, mm. you know, that every person deserves housing, that every person deserves, you know, to be fed. Those are the kinds of ideals that are worth fighting for. And yet we have very few who are standing up for those kinds of ideals now. And they're starting to be called radicals. So what is there to be patriotic to when your best ideals are thrown out the window? Mm. And what is fueling so much of this behind the scenes is an enemy making machine that demonizes anyone who doesn't hold the party line or who disagrees with you on any issue and the animosity and the vitriol, the name calling, uh, you know, just the it's an incredible mechanism that we find ourselves in where we're not only so polarized, but because everything is so agitated and venomous, it just inflames a situation where we can't hear each other's perspectives. Right. And so, you know, a lot of people blame the media, right? Because the media, you know, is about selling press, right? I mean, that's, 
that's what it does. It sells itself. Um, but we still have a, a large difference between like, like MSNBC and CNN, which are biased, mm -hmm. right? Sure. They have their own bias to the left, uh, the, what I call center left. Um, but on the other side, we have Fox News, which is not just bias. It's actual propaganda. Mm -hmm. It is lies and propagandizing. So, and people are making money on it, right? That's why they do it. But they, they have, uh, they are controlling so many people right now with their propaganda. Mm -hmm. I watch it every now and then just so I can see what's going on. And it's hard to believe that they're even allowed to say the things that they say, you know, whereas I watch the other ones and there's a bias. Um, and, and I know that bias is there. Uh, and then I have unbiased or more unbiased spots that I go to, like the AP or BBC. Yeah. Um, and uh, you can go to, you can find other places. I, I like places like Democracy Now. And, yeah. And, uh, but uh, who, who, who do a little deeper investigation and things yeah. like this. But, um, and, and I know some of the things that are said on, uh, especially like MSNBC, those are uh, opinion and those are, Mm -hmm. uh, but they're almost always backed by experts and people, other people's opinions. Whereas on Fox news, most of the people that are on there are people like, you know, a such and such, who's a law student at such and such university instead of the expert in the field. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, and then they pass that off and, and propagandize the whole thing. So, um, so media is, uh, you have to know what's propaganda and you have to know what's biased and, uh, and be able to tell the difference. Uh, I can't that's, tell you. That's the ones who are creating this. this uh, um, and, they, and I don't, I hesitate. They're not creating this. They're only magnifying it. Yeah, okay. right. They are broad. What, what's really happening is there's a, a white supremacist, nationalist, white nationalist movement afoot that's gaining traction on the right and uh and it's fooling people and it has you know propaganda machines like mm -hmm. newsmax and fox news who um are basically making it popular right they they broadcast it and amplify it but they don't originate it it's actually you right. know yeah being driven by something else they're just the megaphone randy i can't tell you how many friends and family I have who are, uh, would be on the right of, uh, of that spectrum who think that, um, MSNBC and CNN are the left. And one of the services that I provide is to say, no, 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 They're middle. Yes, they're biased, but they are corporate middle, right? Just like Hillary mm -hmm. Clinton, right? If we had elected right. Hillary, uh, right, it would have would it have been better than Trump? Absolutely, but would it have fixed this? No, she wasn't the solution. Right, that there are actual sources on the left, and so they'll say like what? And I'll say you should watch Democracy Now with Amy Goodman or the Economic Update with Richard Wolf if you actually want to hear leftist politics. Like there are sources out there, uh, you know, the Dig and other things you can listen to, but people don't even know about them because they've been presented with this false binary. Counterpunch is another one. Okay. Uh, it's a, uh, another one is resilience. You know, they're, I mean, they're places I go to for the left uh, perspective all the time because 
usually you find truth as being uncovered there that, that no one else is bothering with. Yeah. So back to patriotism. So it is not wrong to be patriotic. Uh, you know, in my travels, I've been fortunate to travel. People are very proud of their nation. They fly the flag, right? They'll tell you their national history, whether this is in Europe or in Asia, uh, Africa. People are very, it's, there's, patriotism isn't the problem, right? Especially when, I think, you take it in the way that you have of the land and the people and the ideals like that's a really valuable thing, right? In Canada, people are very proud to be Canadian, but there is something about the way that our patriotism has been hijacked and manipulated as a propaganda machine that is actually really dangerous. Well, and here's part of the problem, too, is that reality, it's, it's not reality for most Americans. So um, it's mean? a different story when the war is fought on your front. Yes. And in your homes and your homes are being bombed and your children are being killed and you're having to fight block by block in your own city. Uh, you know, this is why what happened in Native America. This is why we're the sort of the... Um, uh, our, our PTSD is sort of the, uh, the canary in the coal mine, if you will, because this is what happens when you have to fight for your land in your homeland. Um, and America is uh, spoiled. We haven't had to do that. And so it doesn't become so real to us. It's like, oh, we send people over there. And if you know somebody who dies, it becomes a little real. Or if you go, it becomes very real. But, you know, uh, what if, you know, each of these wars that we chose to get into had to be fought in our front yards? Mm. Then how would it feel? Mm. Because it's fought in somebody's front yard. Yeah. Just not ours. Right. That is one of the luxuries of this imperial moment that we find ourselves in. And, every well, and it's, it's a false reality. Yes. And every time something does violate that veneer of safety it, it becomes a national like we can all point to it whether that's the attacks of september 11th or this riot at the capitol any domestic bombing situation it gets marked because it punctures this veneer that we've created of safety on the home front right so you know, this is it's superficial to even talk about this for Americans because we don't understand what war is about. Mm. Well, listeners, I will be very interested to hear your reflections and your feedback on uh, this conversation this morning. Randy, as we're getting ready to wrap up, I did want to tell you two quick things. I got to be on a podcast called Of Dust and Divinity that I'm very happy, we recorded it a while ago and it came out last week and um, talking about the importance of place. And I'm very happy with how it turned out. So I'll link to it in the show notes, but if uh, oh. listeners wanna go over and listen to that, I was really honored to be a part of that conversation. Of dusk and divinity or dust? Dust. 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 Yeah. Okay. Like dust in the wind. 
Yeah. <laughs> For ashes to ashes and dust to dust. Yeah. At first I thought you said of ducks in divinity. So like, <laughs> no, 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 not an Oregon, not an Oregon based podcast. Well, this sounds interesting. I can't wait to listen to it. Yeah. Well, you get, I name drop, I, you get mentioned. Okay. <laughs> um, I also wanted to let people know that I have restarted my YouTube channel. And this past week, I put up two videos. One was about, is evangelicalism over? And that was a fun one. Got lots of good feedback on that. And then I just put up a new one called the ideology of individualism where I talk about this hunting mentality that has um, really crippled us and, and, and hemmed us in by only thinking about the individual and not the community. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So, if so I'm going to be uh, reviewing uh, Miguel de la Torre's book, um, uh, Decolonizing Christianity. Did you know there was a book out that was similar title to ours? I had seen that, yes, but I, I, don't, I didn't yeah. get it yet. Yeah, I was just asked to review it. And so I said, well, if you send me a hard copy, I'll review it. But it should be interesting to compare uh, what yeah. he has to say with what we had to say. I'm sure he'll approach it differently. But um, yeah. Uh, yeah, so he's uh, taken on the whole of Christianity, which I think our book sort of does that as well in, in some ways. Yeah. Um, Do you know but, where? Yeah, it should be interesting. Where is he writing from? Do you know where he's located? You mean socially or physically? Physically, sorry. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I know he's on faculty at uh, Denver. Oh, is it called Denver Seminary? Well, there's a Denver Seminary, uh, and there's also an ILF in Denver. ILF, yeah, he's at ILF. So uh, interesting. Yeah, maybe he's writing from Denver. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'll look forward to hearing about that. Yeah. I'm we want to thank to our Patreon sponsors. Thank you for your ongoing financial support. If anybody would like to support us in the conversation that we're hosting here, you can do that at Patreon. I'll link to that in the show notes. For our Facebook friends, thank you for your comments and for sharing the episodes to people who may be interested or intrigued or provoked. And uh, thank you for those who email us uh, behind the scenes, connect at piecingitalltogether.com. We are enjoying our correspondence and getting good feedback actually on our most recent episode, which was listener feedback. And we're, uh, we're committing to do that from time to time. So please do send in your thoughts. All right. Peace out, people. <laughs>